Good evening, and um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Revelation, and we're going to continue in our study through this book of Revelation. This evening, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, so let's read this together now. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested, those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false, but have persevered and have endured hardship in my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray before we look at this passage together. Our Father, we thank you again for the fact that we can gather around your word. And as we do, we look to you for help and guidance as we do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I thought it would be good uh, just to recap a little bit of what we looked at last week. And Revelation 1 verse 12 through to 16, this is what we saw. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with the golden sash around his chest, the hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. So when we looked at that passage last week, we saw the description of one who looked like the Son of Man. I want you to remember that phrase because you're going to come across it a lot as we go through the book of Revelation, and it's important. In John's eyes, it was one who looked like the Son of Man. Is the one he's looking at the actual Son of Man? Well, in the description we have, he is one who is a priest, one who is all-wise, all-knowing. He has eyes that burn through lies, and he can see the truth. He's the one who will stand in judgment over the nations, the one who is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who John saw as the glorified Christ. Revelation 1, 19 through to 20, here we have the answer to the mystery that we've just read about. This is what we read. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Think about that as well. What is now, and what will take place later. 
And then he goes on, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now the first readers and the first hearers of the words from this letter would have immediately made the connection with the temple and the temple lampstand. The lampstand that was placed in the holy place a place where it was dark, there were no windows in there. But the lampstand was there to give light so that the priests could do the work of God. They were able to carry out the work of God in that place because of the light from that lampstand. You see, the believers are the church and they are the ones who do the work of God and they do it in the same, in, in the name and by the guidance of the one who is the light of the world, that is, Jesus. Now, the seven stars are his messengers. Well, let's just think for a moment. You see, in Scripture, we have the angelic messengers, such as Gabriel, those who came at the birth of Jesus. We have human messengers, such as the, the, the prophets, such as John the Baptist. The messengers here may be those who were the present leaders of each of the seven churches. We're not sure, but that is a possibility. And with this information, we come to the first of the seven churches. Now, this is probably the most influential church in Asia. It's the church at Ephesus. So in chapter 2, verse 1, we read, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, this church was a real church, a church that was active at the time when John was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. The distance between Patmos and Ephesus is about 195 miles. Now, if you were to travel um, by car and by boat from Patmos to Ephesus, it would probably take you about nine hours in John's day, Ephesus was a major city, a major city of commerce, education, and religion. It was one of the main centers for world trade. It had a famous library, and the goddess Diana was worshipped in the prominent temple of Artemis. Around about AD 51-53, Paul visited Ephesus and this was on his second missionary journey, and he spent three years living in the city, establishing the church. In Acts 19, we can learn of something about what was happening in Ephesus when Paul was there. In Acts 19, verse 11, we read that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So great things were happening in that city. Now, the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus tried to imitate Paul, and they tried to do that by using the name of Jesus to cast out evil spirits, but this had disastrous results for those who tried this. And we can read about it just a, a little bit here in verse 17 through to 20 in Acts 19. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living at Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. 
So to get that, in the city of Ephesus at the time of Paul, the name of Jesus was held in high honor. Then we read on in Acts 19, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You see, the gospel grew. It grew in power. It, it was caused physical expressions of the fact that people's lives had changed. Those who were uh, worshipping Diana, who were worshipping idols, they burnt the books, they burnt the idols. They turned to Jesus, and the growth of the gospel caused concern for those who manufactured the, the jewelry and the statues of the goddess Diana. And they saw their trade figures fall dramatically, and this led to false accusations against Paul, accusations that resulted in a public riot. And we can read about that in Acts 19, verse 23 through to 41. The riot in Ephesus started by Demetrius the silversmith, who accused Paul of leading people away from worshipping the goddess Diana and bringing them to believe in Jesus. And this was the result of a loss of income for these manufacturers of idols and of jewellery. And we read on in Acts 19, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. You see, this gives us an idea of the prominence that the church of the, uh, at Ephesus had, not just in Ephesus, but on the whole of Asia. As people accepted the gospel, the gospel spread through Ephesus. It spread beyond Ephesus, this center of trade, and it went across the country. And this is what the church was like when Paul was with them. In AD 60-62, some years after leaving Ephesus and while imprisoned in Rome, Paul wrote them a letter. And it's good to think about this letter. This is the letter to the Ephesians, a letter that was filled with praise for the church, with great encouragement, encouraging them to keep on going on, and also warning them about the dangers of falling back to their old ways of living. About 30 years later, around about AD 95-96, John would also write a letter to that same church. And this is what we're looking at in the book of Revelation. But before we continue in the book of Revelation, I want us to firstly um, look at the letter from John. I, I, before we look at the letter from John, I, I think it would be good to take a look at Paul's letter so that we can have an idea of what happened to the church at Ephesus from the time of Paul's letter to the time of John's letter. A period of about 30 years or so. And this will give us a chance to see the similarities and the contrasts between the two letters. And this will help us understand better John's letter in Revelation. So let's take a brief look at Paul's letter, letter to the Ephesians. Paul tells us who he's writing to. 
And he also tells us who instructed him to write the letter. So Ephesians 1 verse 1, it's to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? They were faithful in Christ Jesus. And three verse 3 and 4 tells us that it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go forward into chapter 7, uh, verse 7 through to 10 in Ephesus chapter 1, we have the subject of Paul's letter. Paul said, in him we have redemption through his blood, a forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment and to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, Jesus is the subject of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And in that same letter, chapter 1, 15 to 23, we see that the work they were doing was done in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christ. Verse 15, the reason, this for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. This is Paul writing, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And they have faith and they have love for and in Jesus and God's people. Paul continues in his letter, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, at that time of Paul, Jesus is the head of the church at Ephesus. And then Paul goes on, on Ephesians 2, and we read this, verse 4, For because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. You see, they are alive in Christ, and they are experiencing the riches of God's mercy. Paul goes on in verse 10 of chapter 2, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. They are doing the good works of God. Then we read on in Paul's letter, chapter 2, verse 20 through to 22. Paul says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And with him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, at the time of Paul, Christ is the foundation of this church. He is the cornerstone of this church. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. We see a mystery revealed. And the mystery is that Christ also died for the Gentiles. Ephesians 3, verse 1 to 6. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the ministration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is 
that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ. You see, this is a mystery revealed to them when Paul wrote his letter, the mystery that Christ died not just for the Jewish nation, but for the Gentiles. And, you know, they're going to get another letter from John, and that's also going to reveal some mysteries to them. But let's carry on in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I think it's good for us to just walk through this in this way to help us understand what was happening in this church at Ephesus. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 10 and 11, Paul says his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. You see, what they were doing was known in the heavenly realms. And they, what they were doing, they were preaching Jesus. They were taking the message of the gospel. Ephesians three seventeen to 18, Paul said, may, may that they may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Remember that. Grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. This is an important passage, and it does relate to what John is going to say later. Paul's prayer for them was to keep alive the love that they have for Jesus. And in that same Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And then he says, Amen. But that's not the end of his letter to the Ephesians. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, Paul urges them to keep living the life. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul is urging them to stay faithful, to keep to their teaching, to keep to their doctrine. And he's also urging them here to be built up in Christ. Chapter 4 of Ephesians 17 through 18. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So Paul is saying, never go back to the dark ways of life. Stay in the light. Ephesians 5. Out of darkness. Ephesians 5, verse 6 and 8. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, or you may, or, or, or you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. In other words, he's saying, beware of false teachers. 
Ephesians 5.21, Paul said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. They are to be united together in Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, the church is made up of individuals, and he's talking about individual lifestyles. And he's talking about how they are to live a life, a life that is all about Jesus. And then in his final chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, he tells them what to wear and how to pray. And in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 17, we have the armor of God. This is what they must put on. In verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then we come to Ephesians 6, 19 to 20, as Paul finishes his letter to the Ephesians. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak words, may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fiercely as I should. So what do we have here in the Ephesian church at the time of Paul? The central figure in the church is Jesus. The work of the church is the work of Jesus. The light of the church is Jesus. The purpose of the church is to present Jesus. And the people of the church are to be like Jesus. And the relationship that they have with God is through what Jesus has done for them. Now we come to Revelation. John's letter to the church at Ephesus. And this is a letter written about 30 years or so uh, after Paul wrote his letter. And John would write to the same church this letter around about AD 95, 96. So we come to that passage that we read earlier the, this evening. Revelation 2 verse 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So John, like Paul, is telling his, his readers who this letter is to and who this letter is from. And in verse 2, he goes on with words of encouragement. And John says to them, this is Jesus speaking through the letter that John has been told to write. And he says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You see, we know from this that Jesus knows all about them. Jesus has been with them all the time, as he is with every church. He says that they work hard in times of difficulty. He shows that they still show great perseverance. He knows that they've dealt with uh, uh, the, the false teachers within the church and kept the church safe from false doctrine. And he knows that for the sake of the gospel, they have endured hard times. So far, so good. We're seeing here a busy church. A church who seem to be doing everything right. 
But then in John's letter in verse 4, Jesus says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In Paul's letter, and it was good to skip through Paul's letter, and if you read through it, you'll notice that the word love appears quite a lot. And he closes the letter, this is Paul, by saying, Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father, and the love of Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. It appears that this is what this church has stopped doing. And here, in John's letter, this is what they must do. They must change or suffer the consequences. So John's letter goes on in verse 5. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Then in a final gracious word of encouragement to them. As in these final few words, they will see something of the love that the Lord has for them. A love that they are not showing to him. But this is about his grace, verse 6. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, these are false teachers who are filtering into all the churches around about at the time that John wrote this letter. And the call here in John's letter is for us to listen and for us to respond. It is written to a real church in Ephesus, but it's also meant to be read by all the churches through all generations. Verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So while this letter is for John's generation, it's just as much a letter for us today. We're going to take a look at the other six churches that are mentioned here in Revelation. But what I would like you to do this week sometime is, is to read through the whole of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and read it in the light of what we've heard in John's letter, in those few verses that we've read together this evening. Two letters with a gap of about 30 years between them. And we see the change that's happened in the church at Ephesus. And we're going to see the same thing as we look at the other six churches. And then when we've looked at all six churches, we'll put that together and, and we'll look at it as a whole. So in the meantime, um, read Ephesians. <clears throat> Just read through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we have the opportunity to meet around your word. And it's your word that we, 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 we need to respond to. And Father, we just ask that you will help us to understand what you are telling us. We know that it was a letter that was written so long ago. 
but it's a letter that is relevant. It's a letter that's important. It's a letter that speaks about you, about Jesus. And we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.